we never want to see our parents in a bad light, right? We never want to, we will never want to look at them and be like, nah, like they didn't really do that great of a job. Um, we don't want to see or say those things. And again, like this isn't to say that they did. What I recognize about the process is that for me, um, I, I threw away the young version of myself a long time ago. The inner, the, the little boy version of Kyle, the young, the young little lad, uh, I, I, I put him away. I definitely put him away. And when I did that, um, I, I kind of lost the ability to see them in a, in a good or a bad light because I made the decision like you did to be like, okay, I just got to do this now. Like it, it's my time to, I'm just going to do what I need to do now. And I think that's, that's what I was trying to remember you saying earlier is, is I'm a do I'm a do me now. Like I'm going to be part of this team, but like, I'm going to build my life too. Welcome back everyone to the Modern Masculinity Podcast, a space designed to help redefine what it means to be a man in the modern era. Our hope with this podcast is to support men on their journey towards becoming the best possible version of themselves by providing insight, support, perspective, but most importantly, a safe space to live authentically with a community of conscious kings. Every week we will take a deep dive into topics such as toxic masculinity, men's mental health, personal relationships, conscious leadership, and powerful guest appearances. Men, we see you, we hear you, and we are standing tall beside you every single day in the arena of misunderstood masculinity. Let's get into today's episode. What's up? What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Modern Masculinity Podcast. I'm your co-host, CK, aka Coach Kyle. What's going on, my people? It's your boy, Anwar Ahmed, aka A Squared. And today we have one heck of a conversation for you. We are going to be speaking on some things that we're learning as we go in this conversation and we're learning with you. Uh, they are the, the mother wound and the father wound and how they play out and, and what they've done for us and how they've experienced or been experienced in our lives. So it's going to be deep. We're going to go there and we're excited to go there with you. But before we do that, you always know what time it is. Move. Hey. hey yo coach Kyle what I do baby what's going on man how you doing today how's my mood how's my mood well just prefacing uh, this conversation just before we started recording today uh, I definitely feel more grounded and ready to have this conversation which is nice I think that when you and I speak there is an element of I'll use the word groundedness. I would say that in, in many ways, when we speak, you ground me, I feel like I ground you. We have that kind of un, unspoken energy that happens, um, which is lovely and it, very good at prepping. So I feel a little bit more grounded than I did uh, prepping for this last night. Uh, and my last night, my mood was overwhelmed. I was heck, hella overwhelmed. Uh, the conversation we're having today is, is heavy. It's deep. It's in, it's intimate for sure into our personal experiences, and it really made me reflect. And the one thing that you know Andy said in our last conversation with him, he said uh, confidence is is ownership. It's owning your life. And last night, that's how I felt, or what I felt I was doing was owning the experience, even though part of the experience necessarily wasn't quote unquote my fault. I was I was owning it. I was owning the way that I see it and the way that I act now. So 
overwhelmed has turned into groundedness. And with all of that being said, I also feel very focused Hmm. in life. I feel very focused in life. Those are my moods. Nice. I like that. (laughs) Oh man, you're finding words left, right, and center. I, uh, I feel very, I feel very heavy and vulnerable to have this conversation. I feel like I'm in a very emotional place um, about this conversation and thinking about it. I'm even on the walk here. Like I just felt like, you know, it was a sunny day and I was walking and you, you know, you're watching all these people laugh and stuff like that. But I could tell that I was in a different place. Like I was in a very nervous, um, vulnerable emotional place and it was like hard to even take in the environment that was like so positive and happy and whatever because I was just so like oh man here we go here we go here we go um it almost felt like you know when you're have you ever had surgery before Mm, no I've had stitches on my head but it was very like in the moment so I haven't have had like this anticipatory feeling yeah 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 Yeah, I've had uh, I've had jaw surgery before and I remember remember the day before the surgery and the day of like you just know something big is about to happen and you're just like you're not really you're trying to prepare for it as best as you can and you don't know how it's going to go um and you just kind of like the whole time you're just you're in a ball of like whatever your zone is and you don't really know what's going on you're just like you're just a little bit intimidated by like what's Mm -hmm. about to happen um you know and on an emotional scale this is what this feels like it feels like I'm very emotionally scared of what's going to come out or where this conversation may go because of um, these wounds that we patch up with like all kinds of, you know, crap from the world. And we never really know that it's there until you, um, you, you peel off the bandit and realize it hasn't healed. It might be infected. Um, mm. And so, yeah, that's how I'm feeling. I'm very heavy, but I'm also feeling like, this might be liberating in its own way as well. Like, I feel like it could be very liberating. Um, I didn't even know this would be a topic that would actually, you know, provoke so much emotion out of me because when we first started doing the research, all I had was, Oh, I'm going to look up fatherhood, father wound and mother wound. And we'll see what comes up. I'm like, these are curious. I'm curious about these topics. And then you start to get into it and you realize, God damn it. Like, I don't know if I was ready to hear things like that, like in that order. Um, (laughs) And I didn't notice how much like it was bringing up for me, like naturally, you know, so I kind of got my bell rung last night doing the research and, you know, figuring it out. Um, But yeah, I'm ready for the conversation. I think that I'm, you know, I'm excited for where it could be too. There's a little bit about me that's like, you know, excited to hear your experience too, right? Like, I think we get so caught up in our own. I'm wondering what I could learn from your experience or what your experience could add to my own perspective as well. So uh, I'm excited to kind of unpackage this um, for the first time really um, ever in my life uh, Mm. to talk about these things. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping that the, the, the audience can, you know, resonate with our experiences and take some perspective away too. So um, I'm excited. Beautiful. Love that. And that, that jaw, jaw surgery did you well. You're a handsome man. You know that, right? <laughs> thank, you. thank you. Thank you, my man. Thank you. It was a good confidence booster. I, I, good. A little, little funny side story. I remember before going under, you know, um, the surgeon was above me and uh, he was just kind of giving me like the little pep talk, like, hey, you know, things are going to be okay, all that kind of stuff. And I, I remember looking at him and being like, hey, I don't look like Will Smith after this. You didn't do your job. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> and it was a little laugh before going into surgery and uh, that laugh actually i remember like actually like helping me like relax a little bit and like mm-hmm. he laughed i laughed it was it was it was a good moment but um it's nice to know that you know it did something it did something maybe not will smith but it's <laughs> a close second you're a close second for sure i'll take it I'll yeah take if it. i can't have will smith i'll take you i'm okay with that yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh well before i i get into the explanations i think that something that needs to be shared is just the appreciation for your openness before we even get into it. And, you know, you said that this is probably your first time. And I think for a lot of men out there, there's a lot of first times being had these days. There's a lot of first time shares of first time reflections, first time uh, opening, opening up and first time letting people in and to be willing to do that on this kind of stage for everyone to hear uh, on whoever chooses to click play on this episode is an incredibly courageous act and it's beautiful. And there was a word that you said, you said liberation, you know, this can be very liberating. And a phrase that I love is there is no such thing as one way liberation. So something that liberates you in turn liberates others just simply by either the way that you act or speak or the way that you approach those things. Or even if you speak to the people that are involved, there's no such thing as one way liberation. So when you liberate yourself, you liberate those around you. And so I think that's what we're doing here is uh, having this conversation and, and unbeknownst to us, we are going to feel liberated. And in turn, the people listening, all of you listening, uh, will also likely feel a sense of liberation, which is powerful. And so it makes me very excited for this conversation. So in this space, right? We're talking about mother and father wounds. Okay. Now what we're first going to do is create the container. We want to set this up. So you have a general understanding because even for us too, we got into the research and we were like, okay, mother and father wounds. Something that we talk about as men often is our absent or uh, unhealthy father, right? We always reach to the father. And I think for me, what was super interesting is I've attempted to look into the mother side as well, uh, but I've always had like a resistance in the sense of, I'd say, no, my mother was great. You know, like I would always say my mother is great. And this is not a conversation to go against that statement, but this is just a really fascinating component is that's why we're having this conversation is, is a lot of what we're navigating as men strictly due to the absent father or, and what about the, the actions or the wounds of our mother has played out into our life as well. So the mother wound, according to the definition or one of the definitions says, uh, it can be defined as your mother not being emotionally attuned and available to you as a child. She may have been present physically, but emotionally absent. Now, this can sound the same as the father wound, right? The father wound is essentially the almost exact same thing. There's an absenteeism, right? There's, there's absence happening. One is either there or not there, and they're either there emotionally or they're not. So that's kind of how I I know that you phrased it this morning was that these wounds that we're talking about, we've labeled them, but really what they're looked at is in in simplest terms, emotionally absent and essentially not able to hear us, see us or love us to the extent that we needed when we were children. So that creates wounds that it creates this pain that I think what we've recognized as men in this space is we we say, okay, that's done. Move on. Okay, cool. Move on. Okay. That happened. Move on. Like we're very forward thinking, right? Which I think is why this conversation is so powerful. 
how this came to be, I think is super fascinating as well. We're, we're about to have a guest conversation with a, a powerful human being. And in, in that process of prepping for that episode, there was conversations about consent and uh, allyship and communication barriers between men and women. And in the process, we, we had this idea, uh, Anwar specifically had this idea about what is the overbearing cause you know, of some of our, our biggest struggles as men in our adult lives. And so that's why we wanted to have the conversation. So for me, right out of the gate, um, I think the question that I had to ask myself, uh, and maybe I'll pose to you, but the question I had to ask myself was, whose love did I crave the most growing up? And the reason that I asked that question came from Tony Robbins because I watched his doc and that's what inspired me to be on the journey I am now. And the very first question that was in that doc said, whose parent did, whose parents love did you crave the most? And it's so fascinating uh, of a question for me, but uh, my initial answer was my father right out of the gate initial answer. Cause I'm like, my mom loved me. My mom was always around. Of course she loved me. But I've recognized that answer has changed. But, but right out of the gate, first, first, first response for you, it, it, without like over context, whose parents, who, what parent did you crave the most from my love? I, you, know, well, you know what? It's just for me, it's, I don't know why that question is so hard for me to answer. Mm. Like, I actually, there isn't a definitive one person that I think, I think I wanted both their loves equally. Like, mm. I think I just wanted... I wanted to be loved by both of them and seen by both of them together almost, you know, mm. like I wanted their collective love and I wanted to make them both proud of me, like, you know, together. My thoughts are always like, you know, when my parents go to bed and, you know, they're having conversations at nighttime, like they both are just like, I'm really proud of Anwar. You know, I'm really, really like he's turning out to the person that we wanted me us to, uh, you know, we wanted to raise. And, you know, I wanted to feel both of their love equally and I desired both their loves equally. Um, but I think that there was an interesting uh, timelines play a big role in this. So mm -hmm. when I was both my parents were both in the house, same house. And at that point, I don't, I don't think I craved either one more than the other. They were like a team. Like I, I felt both of their energies, like it was, you know, the house was moving and operating at a very um, efficient, uh, in a very efficient way when it comes to like taking care of each other. They both played like good cop, bad cop. It was like the roles were very well defined and you could feel like it was like our parents are here. They're doing their thing. Mm -hmm. And then we moved to Winnipeg out of um, a period of life that we just, it was a transition that we had to make for the family, for the greater family. You know, we wanted to bring our family from Africa to Canada and we had to make a sacrifice with our, our family to, you know, do a greater deed. And in that process, my dad had to stay in Vancouver to financially support us. And me, my mom, my sister moved to, to Winnipeg. And then that's when kind of the, the void of like, I want my dad started, you know, like I miss my dad. Mm. Like I wish my dad was here with us, you know, and those are some very formative years. Like those were, that was like middle school, high school, you know, where you're you, now you have, now we've kind of put ourselves in a single parent household, but because not because we're breaking up, but because we're trying to like divide and conquer, you know, like we're trying to, he's working over there. It would be the equivalent of like, if you had a parent in the military or something, you know, it's mm -hmm. like your dad's away, your mom is the one raising you. They're together still, but like your dad's not there. You can't, you know, you can't feel his presence. You can't have conversations with them like that. Um, 
And so I think I really craved my dad's because it was like something, something went away. We had both of them. And then there was a clear, something is missing from our lives. You know, it's his presence, his, you know, his aura. Um, and my mom at that point, I felt like she had lost her balance as well of trying she now had to be like the disciplinary as well. She was always a disciplinary, but she had to play both roles now. So her ability to show love also diminished because she was now like, she was like making sure we did everything correctly, you know? So mm. in, in a weird way, we lost both their loves. You know what I mean? It was like, mm. we lost my dad's love because their ability to be together allowed them to have the balance to be like, Hey, if you're being that I can show love. And if you're being tough on them, I'll show love. Like there was always one of them was showing you love when one of them was being hard on you. But when my dad wasn't there anymore, his energy and effort was gone essentially. And then now my mom is playing both roles, which meant she had less to offer in love because she was being trying to offer more in discipline and or like, you know, order and all of those other areas. Um, and so it was harder to feel her love. Like you have to learn her, you have to like, you have to like decode her love through like all these cryptic languages. And like, it was just, it wasn't very clear. It wasn't like, oh, I know that that's love. You know, it was tough love. Mm. Like it was the hard kind of love. Um, and then, so there was that chapter where I missed my dad, I guess, cause my mom was more present. And mm -hmm. so I think that chapter, I would say that I was, you know, I craved my, my dad's love more. How old were you then? I, I, that was like grade seven to grade 12. Mm. Um, and then after like grade 12, 18, I pretty much moved out on my own and basically just separated from both of them, you know? And then mm -hmm. at that point now it was like, I crave both your guys' love, you know? Like, I'm just like, I'm on a solo journey now, you know? So um, I feel like that's, that would answer in more directly to answer your question at certain times in my life, I craved my parents' love at different times. And I think it was at its best in the beginning of my life. And, and then it's just been kind of chasing one or the other this whole entire time since, you know, now I'm 30, but um from 18 to 30 it's been you know just trying to find their love in the any any way that i can in either or you know um mm. what about yourself mm. well I, I appreciate you sharing i think uh, I, I like the idea um or not the idea the knowing that it's changed over time i think that's super interesting and super fascinating and one thing that obviously stands out in that process is that there was a, a really big shift in the family dynamic a really big shift and in the definition of like a father wound, for example, it speaks on those moments, those moments where uh, something changes like that, where it's not that the family is necessarily broken up. It doesn't always have to get there. Your family's still whole and united, but there was a separation at such a formative age where you, I can imagine as you know, younger Anwar, you're like, uh, dad, like what's going on here? Like it, there's, it, it would be difficult to understand uh, and I think a question that comes up for me is uh, when that kind of all happened and shifted, uh, what do you, what do you think reflecting on it, uh, younger Anwar was feeling when all of that started to change? I didn't take to it very well in the beginning, I, the whole move and the whole, you know, moving to Winnipeg, I was, I was pretty much a happy go lucky kid up until that, that first move, um, that first move to the, the city, despite all like, you know, my, you know, my mom and my teachers and stuff, like there was bullying in my childhood. There was like not really fitting in. There was all these things, but it was like, I was oblivious to all of it. Like I was still this like happy go lucky optimistic. Like I just saw, 
all those things as challenges. I'm like, oh, they don't like me now, but they'll like me, you know? And I, like, I had no real genuine negative expression inside because I felt like there was balance. I didn't feel like I was filling the void. Like at home, I was mm -hmm. like, I got sisters, I got a mom, I got a dad, like everything is intact. I just got to figure out this outside world thing. Like I got right. big teeth, kids are making fun of my teeth. Like how do I navigate this world and figure out like what I'm good at? But I wasn't like, I, I remember not being really negative about it all. Like just being like, cause I had friends like in my neighborhood, I was like, I have close friends. It's just this weird school that I go to where there's like these random kids that pick on you and whatever. Um, and so I didn't feel like I'm, I didn't feel like I was trying to fit into, like, I didn't belong at all in the world. It was just like, oh, I want to get into that corner, but I can't. I, it was more of a strategic type of like, like lifestyle. And then moving that first big move, it happened at the back of me, like actually figuring some things out. So I had finally penetrated that friend group that I wanted to be in. Mm -hmm. I was part of the jocks. Like I was finally starting to like amount to what I thought I could be. Like I was starting to be recognized for my athletic ability and like, you know, being a good athlete and all of those kind of things. Um, I had been doing things like cool things in school, like, you know, like lead play, like a lead person, like lead member of the play that I, like, the school had, like I was in a speech competition that went really well. So like, like, there was things that were happening that were positive. And then my mom is like, we got to go fix this thing in our family. We're going and like did now grenade hit our family. We're in Winnipeg. It's minus 35. I'm like, what the heck is going on? Like, and it was just too much of a rejig of like everything that was going on. Like I thought we were all working towards one thing and then it just mm -hmm. got flipped on its head. Um, I didn't take to it very well. Um, I remember like resenting my mom in the beginning of it too, like not really understanding her plan. You know, so even the love she was trying to show me at that time, I wasn't really receiving it because I was kind of pissed at her mm -hmm. um, to the point where she sent me back. Like I was so resistant to the move that my mom actually sent me back to Vancouver to go live with my dad for a year. Mm -hmm. um, she was like, you know what, if you hate it that much and you are really, you know, because for them, it was shocking. It was like this kid that had never had problems is all of a sudden, like not into life, like not mm -hmm. really like he's miserable, like he hates it, like and it's showing on his face and it's like always trying to cheer him up. And he's like just moody and whatever. And so she sent me back, she sent me back to Vancouver. And I was like, so happy. I was ecstatic, got all my energy back. Like I was like rejuvenated, went back to Vancouver, got back in with all those people that I was friends with. It was like, Hey guys, sorry, I left for that year. Like I left for grade seven, came back for grade eight, basically um, got to graduate with all those kids. Like it was cool. It was a great year. But in that year um, I caused, I, that was probably my most rebellious years as a teenager because my mom was the, 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 the disciplinary was gone. Right. Like, and then my dad was easy. Like you can get anything, you, you can do anything with my dad around. Like he was, he was a, uh, Kevin Hart puts it best. He was the kind of dad who like, he, he parent with his ears. He'd be like, y'all, y'all good over there. Like he's not coming to check. <laughs> he's not like, he just trusting that the kids are good. Like, you know, he'll cross that bridge when it comes. Um, and so I took advantage of it big time. Like, and my dad was like, Hey, this kid is a, he's a menace. Like he's got to go back to Winnipeg. And so when I got back on that flight to Winnipeg, it was like, I deserved it. You know, like it was almost yeah. like, I can't be miserable now. Cause it's like, I earned <laughs> my ticket back here. So coming back, I had a way better, like, you know, outlook on life. And I was like, all right, let me give this thing a fair chance. And like, once I, you know, I, I also had the confidence that I could do it again, going back to, I just saw like, I'm like, you've created this, like everything you did here, in grade eight, it was a, like a reflection period of like everything you created here, you did this, you could do it again. 
-hmm. Like, and I had already kind of made friends in that one year that I was there. So it was like, I'm going back to something that's not completely new. I just was there for a year and I left now I'm back. So let's see what you can create. Um, and then I went back there and I was a better kid then, but I think, you know, to answer your question, it was the, the beginning of just being like, I'm writing this story now. I don't need people anymore. You know, like it was just like the back and forth, the whole like getting your emotions ripped out of your soul and then being flown across and then sent back and all of that. I'd realized in that process and, and not really receiving my mom's love. I, it was like the original hard shelling of me. Like I, mm. things aren't perfect anymore. Things don't just like go the way it goes. And I hardened a little bit. Like that was the first version of me being like, whatever, I got this. Like, you know, I'll just do it. Like, you know, I'll make my, I'll make the, like, you know, I'll support. And, and I had to kind of step into like a little bit of like a father role, you know, cause my dad wasn't there. So, you know, I kind of like, that was the first time I looked at my mom and I was like, I guess we're teammates, you know what I mean? Mm. Like, I guess we got to do this together. You know, she, she leaned on me for a lot of, you know, the things that she would lean on my dad on usually. Um, and it was, you know, I kind of started playing that role. And I think it like contributed to a lot of my really fast maturity, like of like growing up quickly um mm -hmm. was being like all right cool my dad's not around you know you got to do this yourself you know help your mom the best way you can support her the best way you can it's probably the first couple of times that i had the ideology of like buying my mom a house and taking care of her and supporting her it was just seeing her have to do so much on her own and be in this isolated world um it was the first time that you know my eyes started seeing like oh, okay cool like your mom's doing a lot like how can you help her like you know mm. uh, and i grew up a lot in that process but it wasn't like i was looking for love as much as i was like how can i help how can mm -hmm. i help how can i help you know and then i got into that world maybe too much because i stopped even looking for love i was like well, how can i help what do you need how can i help how can i help what do you need me to do um which would be you know speaking to a lot of that provider complex as well um mm -hmm. so Great relation there. Yeah. It's, it's crazy to reflect on those moments and then this experience and researching this, because what you just said really lands for me. And, and just, I have this intuitive feeling that it's really landing with those that are listening in that uh, there was a moment often where we hardened ourselves into this, how can I help space? Cause it didn't matter anymore for that. For, I think for that, in that moment, it was, almost as if it turned into more of like a survival instinct of, okay, okay. I understand. Like, it's just us. Okay. All right. What do we need to do? What, how do we need to do it? Where do we need to go? How do I, I'll do it. I got it. And in that process, it's at least for me, it was a direct correlation with the moment I chose to stop feeling my body and my emotions and, and my, my intuition. It was, uh, you know, a moment where it was like, yeah, we, we have to do this. Well, I refuse to do anything else. And it's the exact same statement you said. Uh, what did you say? It said, uh, you said we're teammates and we're going to do this together. And there was something else in there that you said that really resonated with me. I hope it'll come back to me, but essentially I had the same story in, in the same way. And uh, that, it was going to be her and I, even though there was someone else around and you still had your father somewhere, right? Father didn't actually leave or go anywhere. And it still was like, no, it's you and I, like we got this together. And what for me that that created personally was this like really deep attachment to my mom and, and a very 
broken attachment to any male figure in my life. And uh, through this research, what I've learned is uh, our parents are the first relationship we have with either gender, right? And so how that relationship is built is often how our relationships tend to turn out in the future with uh, our male or, um, or sorry, our, our man or woman friends in the future. And so uh, because mine was so broken with men, uh, it has always since then been broken. And I've struggled to make deep friendships with men. And because I was always emotionally in tune and connected with my mother, or not maybe not emotionally, more just, I guess, physically, because we were in the same space. Uh, uh, that's how I attached to, to women as well. It was like I, I, I resonated with women and I still do uh, a lot of my coaching and a lot of the things that I say and a lot of the things that I speak on um, have resonated with a lot more women, not because I'm speaking to them, uh, but it just seems like there's the energy that I'm giving off because I've always had broken relationships with men. I don't know how to maintain them because there wasn't a man in my life to show me how to maintain them because it was so inconsistent. Um and so it's interesting to reflect on this and look back, but one thing that that created for me, and I don't know if you resonate with this, but through the process of having this like teammate mentality with my mom, right? Obviously at that point, you just like, okay, cool. Like love doesn't matter. Like I, I just unspokenly know I love you. You love me. Cool. Let's go. Like it doesn't really need to be expressed. Mm -hmm. And I never really realized until this research why my mother wasn't overly loving to me i never knew i just presumed it was her personality that she wasn't you know overly um uh touchy and feely when i was younger like it wasn't like a lot of hugs or kisses or what i mean still like i had to initiate that as i grew up in the sense of like like when we when we separate from each other it's was always like a, a hug, but it wasn't like a mom son hug. You know, it was like a, yo, what's up? You know, like it was like a dap up, you know, <laughs> like that's <laughs> like that. <laughs> yo, what's up mom? How you doing? How you, how you doing? What's up? Like it felt more just like a friendship, you know? <laughs> I'm dead. <laughs> and it, it felt it, like a dap up. Oh <laughs> God. Uh, it, it so just telling though, there is so much to, to take away from just that sentence in itself. I feel like I've been dapping up my parents for years. <laughs> <laughs> like that is one of the best ways to articulate it in history. Like I genuinely feel like I've been dapping up life for like years. Yeah, I can't remember the last time I've been like embraced where I'm like, this doesn't feel like a dap up. I feel like this is like heavier mm. than that. Like you're holding me in a way that I'm like, no, nah, you give a damn about like how I'm internally feeling. Like, I feel like even, you know, people that are in my life now, like it's like the friendships, it's just like, they're all just like, I got you, bro. Dap up. Like it's a dap up love. I haven't felt love, love. And like, honestly, I'm embarrassed to say how long, like, you mm. know, it's, but yeah, it's, and it's that speaks. It, I'm laughing because it hits so hard. Like, <laughs> I, I don't even know where that. I've never actually expressed it in that way before. Um, but it's so it's just interesting to reflect on. And so you know what this isn't a tell. And I know I can hear a lot of men being like, "Nah, like my relationship, with my mom was never that way. Like it's my mom." And something that I read yesterday that floored me was something that was so obvious, and yet I never really put it together is that uh, 
we as men were conditioned to protect our mother. You know, like we're, we're, there's this like unspoken rule that you protect Ma. Doesn't matter what Ma, you protect Ma as a man. That is your job, protect your mother. And so to willingly try to reflect on how well, I'm, I'm using the word well loosely, my mother parented me growing up was never in question. I don't question that. I don't question like, oh, like, you know, I wonder, huh, I wonder how well she did. No, it's just, no, she did great. And if she didn't, you know, do a perfect job, it's like, well, she was not, she was battling a lot. So she, you know, she did the best she could. And yes, that's true. But like, what's at play there? What's really going on there? And one thing that I'm working on discovering, which I haven't had the opportunity to yet is, you know, the formative years between uh, when I was born and when I was seven, I have this, this, this funny feeling, this, this intuitive feeling that I was neglected. I have this funny feeling. And the reason that I have this funny feeling is because my mother was so young, it just seems like it was appropriate at that time at 15 years old to just naturally have a tough time parenting just makes complete sense to me. Um, but what that, what happens in that space is, you know, my, my needs aren't being met. I'm helpless. I'm, 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 all I need are these three things. See me, hear me, love me. But as a 15 year old parent, I don't even know if you're receiving that from your parents yet, right? Like it's, it's the, the generational line of things. And so again, this was hard for me to look at and I don't have the evidence yet. I am actually going to dive into this conversation with my mother, which is going to be tough, but I, I want to know um, because what I recognize is like, this is impacting who I am today. This is directly impacting my relationship with my partner. This is directly impacting the way that I feel when she does certain things or when she doesn't do certain things. And one of the biggest tells I've found in all of my relationships is that because uh, my mother and I had this dap up, you know, kind of friendship, I'll meet your needs and you meet mine kind of, kind of idea. Uh, I didn't have the nurturing that I was craving when I was younger. So now through the process of me growing up, I've just sought out a partner that would nurture the living hell out of me because I never had it, or at least it never felt like I had it as a young, because I was always trying to, you know, be the man role and fill the needs and be the, be the, the man of the house and um, be what she needs because she's not getting it from my, the other father figures. I can tell like their way that they're acting. Like I can just tell she's not happy. So I'll make her happy. Like all of these things, I was playing roles. I wasn't playing. I wasn't just being a son to a mother. I was playing a role. Um, that I felt I needed to play. And so I, I never got it. So I started to seek it out because it was a void, right? This, this, this statement that, I, that we spoke on recently is that we seek in others um, what we feel a void in with ourselves, in our partners. And so I was seeking that nurturing. My friends, let's talk about mental health and the sponsor of this podcast. This episode is sponsored by Tether, a peer-enabled mental health and well-being platform for men. Tether helps men find meaning and purpose through community, accountability pods, and a 24-7 support network. Tether invites us all to be a part of changing the face of masculinity and letting every man know that struggling and vulnerability doesn't make you any less of a man. It simply makes you human. 
And for me, I've had a lot of personal experience with this app. I've used it many times. I've shared a lot of vulnerable moments. I've shared some strength moments, some exciting moments. The app is open for everyone to simply just share. And like I said in the introduction, a peer-enabled space where we're supporting each other without any pressure to fix, just simply to honor each other's journey. They also just added in a conscious content section where they're sharing podcasts, they're sharing blog posts. It is a really powerful space. So we really want to implore you and encourage you to download it from the app and Google store. It is Tether, T-E-T-H-R, available on both app stores. Join the community. I promise you will not regret it. Um, it's super fascinating though. Do you resonate with the, with the protect mom at all costs? Yeah, big time, big time. I think one thing that came up for me when you were talking there too, that I want to kind of, you know, throw back at you and maybe pull apart a little bit more is this idea that the, the, the parenting well thing, right? We don't question it because, and I'm wondering, I'm, I'm asking you, this is more of a question. Um, hmm. Do you think we don't question that because in the bigger picture, all we see is that there's these responsibilities that need to be covered and whoever can fill those roles, fill those roles. And because you're like, hey, you did your part of the equation, but I also did my part of the equation. You, you perceive the parent as being great. You perceive the parent as being good. But little do you know that like what you were bringing to the table, had you have not needed to bring that to the table, it wouldn't have looked as good, you know? Um, and so because you're playing, you guys are doing the assignment together, it's hard to judge the parent by themselves because you are doing it together. You're a team. Mm. Um, but what we don't notice is that like what you as a kid has to give up to do that assignment, you know, to do an assignment that's way above your pay grade at that time. You know, like what you lose as a child to become a teammate with a parent isn't ever spoken about or isn't recognized, but the what a parent has to give up to continue to just do what they were doing like they don't really have to play smaller like they're playing a role the kid is playing up the kid is playing in a bigger league than them you know like they're playing in a league that is way above their pay grade um do you think that you don't recognize those things in the moment because you're too busy trying to get the assignment done you're too busy trying to just be like hey we got to fill these we got some we got to do the work here so you can't actually be in a in a in a, a judgmental place of your parent because you're like you're literally working. The assignment feels like it's both of our assignment at this point, mm. you know. Um, yeah, I, I think as I reflect on it, it's definitely an interesting question. One thing that I've always kind of recognized with a lot of people, and I think that uh, a lot of you listening here might resonate with this, is that um, we never want to see our parents in a bad light, right? We never want to, we will never want to look at them and be like, nah, like they didn't really do that great of a job. Um, we don't want to see or say those things. And again, like this isn't to say that they did. What I recognize about the process is that for me, um, I, I threw away the young version of myself a long time ago. The inner, the the little boy version of Kyle, the young, the young little lad. Uh, I, I I put him away. I definitely put him away. And when I did that, um, I, I kind of lost the ability to see them in a, in a good or a bad light, because I made the decision like you did to be like, okay, I just got to do this now. Like it, it's my time to, I'm just going to do what I need to do now. And I think that's, that's what I was trying to remember you saying earlier is, is I'm a do I'm a do me now. 
like, I'm going to be part of this team, but like, I'm going to build my life too. Like I'm going to go build and do this stuff and be this. Uh, and that happened uh, a distinct moment when I was, I think 12, 11 or 12, where I made that call. And I remember it distinctly. It was unconscious, but where I said, okay, like you're done, let's go, let's move. And from that moment on the, the, the boy version of me was gone. Uh, the playful, the, the easily connected, the in tune, the emotional was, was gone. Uh, I sent him away. And that obviously caused a lot of turmoil because he tries to show up all the time. And I say, I don't know who you are. Mm. I don't recognize you. And so when I reflect on my upbringing, uh, I can, because I had such a, um, a painful version of men early on, it was easy for me to just distinguish that they're not doing a good job. I didn't even try to see that they were doing a good job. I just, I would, I just put that one in the box. I said, men do a bad job check in a box. But then the other side of the equation is I felt like I had more people who were more connected and and communication with their mothers. So I said, okay, got it. Moms do a good job. Check. There, There was never, there was no questioning of that the whole, the whole time. And what that bred was an inability to look at and be willing to look at how the way my mother parented me has affected me today. I only chose to look at the bad, look at my, look at the men. They made me this way. I'm doing this because I don't want to be like them. Quote, quote, I, all of these things, like it was just all them. And the only thing I really had going in the sense of like, Oh, I wonder, you know, how well my mother did was, well, she was 15 and I feel like she did the absolute best that she could because I'm not a statistic. I'm not a statistic of a teenage mother. And so that was my guiding light. And so I just said, cool, she did a great job. And a lot of people that I ask, I'm like, oh, like, how do you feel like, you know, how how are your parents? How how do you feel your child was? And they're like, oh, you know, it was actually really great. It was super good. You know, all my parents are the best. And it's like, okay, I hear you. But when you're saying these things, it feels a bit like it's a compensation for the fact that it wasn't actually that way. And that's okay. But I think coming full circle to your question is the reason that I looked at it for so long as it was great or she was great is um, because I didn't have the ability to connect with a young boy who felt like it wasn't great. Your maturity, your maturity was, was too, too advanced. Yeah, I, I did. It was, it was too needed or sorry, I was needed too early. Right. So like I said, like if I can't connect to uh, that little boy, the little young version of coffee, I can't connect to him. Then I don't really know what he felt. I don't know what he went through. I don't know what he had to do to make things. I have no idea because I said no to him. I just said yes to the man version of me, the older mature version of me. And so um, I would just assume that things were great because I don't know anymore. And I don't want to look at it because oftentimes there's a deep pain there. Mm -hmm. And I was writing my notes yesterday for this episode and when I was writing it out, one thing that um, I acknowledged in the idea of the pain is that because the pain is so tough as a child and you're not really given the space to hold it or to express it, and you don't have necessarily the, the, the parental capacity to hold it either, you see the pain as bad, right? You see the pain as bad. 
And to add to all of that, some of these experiences, um, similar to kind of yours with your father um, and your, your mother having to make this, this accommodation, for me, it was less of a common accommodation, more of like a, this, you need to separate, you're no longer together. Like those, those moments are very traumatic, very painful. And a lot of times I did this, you start to think, I, I presume because I haven't really connected to the younger version of, of myself in this capacity yet, but you start to think, I wonder if I was a better kid that this wouldn't have happened. I wonder if I was better, if I was gooder, you know, if I was a, a better son or um, a better brother or whatever, you start to think of those ways and you start to shame and guilt yourself for being like, I wonder if I'm the cause because it doesn't make sense. I'm a young boy. These big things are happening. You're not here anymore. Has to be me has to because why else would it be happening i would take it on and um <clears throat> it's tough it's tough to, to live in that space and so that pain um is so hard to handle as a young boy it's hard to even think about now so then you push it away and then you know it's funny i think about this i push it away when i was then and then i wonder why i push pain away now because mm. What I feel like is if I open up the gateway to pain now, I open up the gateway to that pain. And somewhere inside of me, unbeknownst to me, my, my inner child is screaming to be heard. And, and I, because I've talked it away, I'm saying, no, I don't want to feel that. Do you know how hard that was? You know, damn hard. I don't even know how hard that was, but you're about to tell me and I don't want to know. We don't want to go there anymore. We're forward. We're moving on. It's fine. Air quotes. It's fine. And so then I don't allow myself to feel fully into the pain that I may be experiencing today. Cause to me, it's just a gateway into the pain of the past. And that's scary. Sounds like there's a lot of, a lot of inner work that's going on there, man. Wow. I mean, I think that, you know, even just the way you've kind of, talked about some of this stuff I can tell that you're a little bit more aware of your childhood you know and often in this podcast you 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 poke and pry and try to get me to talk about childhood so much and I'm like I come up empty because I'm not thinking about it I don't think about it I've done what you've just kind of did at the end there it's just like no we're moving forward like we're not mm -hmm. we don't care like who cares that you didn't have this and you didn't have that and like we'll get over it move forward move forward uh, and you realize that this, these are all just layers of, you know, hardening paint that you keep putting on yourself, you know, and every time someone, you know, tries to, you know, take a layer off, you put another one on even harder, mm -hmm. even harder than the last one. You know, it's like, Hey, we don't do that. We don't care. Let's move forward. Mm -hmm. um, it's, like, it's like someone finds a crack and you're like, Oh, I didn't know that crack was there. And you cement the crack over, you know, yeah. <laughs> just like constantly reapplying the cement over the little cracks in the sidewalk that keep showing up. And it's just bandaid after bandaid after bandaid. And I like the fact that you, you, you leveled up and went from bandaid to cement, because I think the hardening that we go through is like cement level. It's Honestly. not, it's not a, it's not a bandaid. It's not, you can't lightly find out what's underneath. Like if you can get a jackhammer and work your way through that cement and get to that pair point pain point, good for you. You must have some superpowers, but I'm not making it easy for you to 
to get there, you know, and I, I sometimes I feel like, uh, like I sometimes feel like I'm a block of cement. And I think mm. that when people are trying to, you know, get to my soul and get to, you know, the inner person, I'm like, you don't got the facilities for that big man. You don't got the tools to get there. This is not built on, it's not, this is not plexiglass. This is cement. You can't, you're not getting through here with light tools. Like it's not, you're not mm -hmm. showing up with your cute little words and your little vulnerability. Like this is a gated community. This is not, it's not open for business. Um, and you realize it's showing up when people say things like, you know, I've had, you know, people that I've had, you know, as close as I can to an intimate relationship with tell me that you're a bit cold. You're not affectionate. Um, you're hard. Like you're hard to read. You're hard to get into your heart to your heart to understand emotionally. And it's when you hear things like that, that, you know, it should trigger you to be like, all right, maybe it's not nothing. Maybe it is something. Let me go back. Like what happened? You know, like, let me go back to my childhood. Let me unpackage some of this stuff. But I've noticed that when I get into those places or I've been in those places, I've just gone harder. I've like doubled down. I've been like, nah, I'm a, what do you mean? I'm affectionate. I just don't like do this or I don't do that. Or I, I make up excuses. Like, you know, mm. I didn't grow up around mad affectionate, uh, like mad affectionate people. So I'm not affectionate. Like just how it is. Like, right. Like I'll say things like that, you know, and that's just a cop-out answer. You know, it's, mm. you're, you're really scared to engage in the pain you're feeling so deeply that you just will make mm. up justifications and excuses to show whoever is trying to get to know you or trying to uh, make you more emotionally available. And you're just like, I don't know what you're trying, but that store hasn't been open for a long time. So you're waiting outside a store that's never opening. You might as well go check out a different store. Like check out my humor, check out this side of me, check out that mm. side of me. Cause that store hasn't been open for a long time. And yeah. it's, we closed it for a reason. Like, yeah. I mean, one of the most dangerous statements I think we can ever say is it's just who I am. Oh, and I, and I grew up on that statement. I grew you know? I live there, man. Sometimes. Live there. And live I think, yeah. I really think it's a testament to the growth of our society and the growth of our civilization in the sense of like, no one questioned these things back, back, like even back one generational line, no one questioned these things. And it's fascinating too, when you start to do this work in our generation, because we're really, we're really the movement. We are really, this movement is our generation of these people willing to question the wait. What do you mean? That's just who I am why can't I be something different? And I recognize, and maybe you do too, but when you ask these questions or you start to challenge these narratives with the generation back and the generation second back, they don't have the capacity to do so. They don't have the willingness to do so. They're like, what are you talking about? Why are you even talking about that? I've, I've talked to so many people who have attempted to do so and they've gotten such backlash for, for just wanting to have the answers. And it's, it's so fascinating to me that uh, I think a big component of it is we're all so fearful of doing a bad job. Like all, all we ever want to do is be good parents and, and do the best we can. And, you know, that's comes with its flaws and its problems and its challenges and uh, no parent is perfect, but the narrative past generations was that it was that way, that there was a way to parent perfect. 
So when you ask them questions like, wait, hold on a second. Like when I was this old and this happened, was this actually going on? And they're like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. That's not how it happened at all. It actually happened like this. And this is what really went down. And this is what we had to do and all these things. And it's the end of the day, it's like, no, I'm asking you because I think you're a bad person or because you're wrong. I, I, I'm genuinely curious what happened here. Cause I, I've blocked it. You probably blocked it, but it's so interesting. Yeah. And in the research that I was doing too, a lot of therapists were talking about how, you know, their, their, their patient might come in and they talk about like, Hey, I want to talk to my parents about this, but they're very defensive. Like I can't talk to them about mm -hmm. how they weren't emotionally available. Cause it's hard for them to accept that maybe they didn't do a good job as a parent. Um, and the conversation is very difficult. And then she had said something that was an extra caveat. I was like, she's like, because they also feel like they were, their parents weren't emotionally available. So they have their own trauma that they are going through. So that's why it's like, there's been, there's been many layers of this thickening of like this cement block life, mm -hmm. right? Like we're just kind of passing it on. Like, you know, my dad might've had to have become a hard person for a certain reason who just passed it on to me. And I became a hard person. And we just kind of have all been kind of, and somebody has got to break the mold. Right. But if we don't redefine what masculinity means, or we don't redefine and we all don't challenge the narrative, this is just who I am. Then we're not going to have any breakthroughs. You know, we're not going to have any mm -hmm. of the, the changes that we're looking for, you know? And so I think that like that little thing was so like telling for me to hear. And that's like the humanity of your parents, you know, making them human again, you know, getting them out of that like parent. And like, you know, when you're mature, like you said, when you've kind of, you know, put an baby Anwar away or baby Kyle away and we kind of just buried those people, we can come to the conclusion of like, my, our parents are just humans, you know, mm. really fast, but it doesn't fix the, the void that you have. It doesn't help like, just because you're mature and you can handle the perception of life and what it is, doesn't mean that you don't have. And a prime example of that for me, you know, to shed is I used to always say that I didn't, I didn't really care that, you know, my parents never watched me play basketball. You know, like I used to mentally tell myself, like, it's not that big of a deal. Like mm. your, your, your friend's parents are here. Like, it's all good. Like people know that you're good. You know, and, right. and you mentally, you're mature enough to understand, like, you're like, they're just not here, but it's all good, whatever. My maturity allowed me to, like, accept the reality for what it was, but it doesn't fucking make it any better. Like, I'm, my, my parents have never watched me play basketball, ever. Not one game. Not one, not one day, hey, hey, son, you did really good. I'm proud of you. Like, like, that was a good game. A hug from your dad after the game or, like, you know, your mom watching you like, and something that you're pouring your heart and soul into, like you're, you're, you're devoted to this thing. Like you really care about it. You love it so much. And the people that are supposed to love you the most aren't even there to witness any of it. Like they're not there. They don't care. They, they're, they're not showing that they care and you can harden yourself as much as you want to pretend like, you don't. Know, it doesn't matter, but it does. It does. It does matter. You know, like that was. It's, it's, it's. I think for a long time, I, I tricked myself into thinking that I could love myself. I don't need anybody. I can do it myself. I just, I don't need anybody's attention. I can 
you know, you look up in the stands, there's only so much, there's only so much disappointment you can deal with as a kid. Like, look up, the parents aren't there, you know, look up, the parents aren't there. It's it, at some point you just go, instead of like letting yourself down, just, why don't you just reverse engineer this feeling and just accept that they're not going to be there and like get used to that, you know, cause that's easier, you know? When you show up to a game and they're not there, you're like, that's what's supposed to happen. They're not supposed to be here. Like, why, what are you getting yourself all let down for? You know, it's, um, I think when I turned 18, I just carried that, uh, that already mentality that I already had of them not being present for things that, you know, I was passionate about and I cared about. And I just took that as like, okay, you're just 18 now. The stakes are higher. It's now life that you're managing, but they were never there before. So it's all good. Like, We'll, 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 we'll continue to do the dap up. That's what's working. We'll continue to dap each other up. How's your game? I won. Cool. Congratulations. Awesome. Thanks. Uh, how's your game? I lost. Cool. Let's just continue to play that game. And now let's just deal with bigger, bigger challenges, you know, life itself, you know, and I don't think, you know, I don't want to blame them all for it because I think that like that hardening also made me express less. I cared to share less, you know, you get to the point where you're not there for the games. So how did the game go? And I'm like, why do you care? You know what I mean? Like you stop sharing. Cause you're just like, you don't care. I don't care. Let's just keep this, the, the dap up vibe. Like let's not pretend mm-hmm. like we give a shit. Like, you know what I mean? Cause if you did and you wanted to know how the game went, you could ask me when it was, you could have showed up, you could have done all those other things. So I don't care about this fake energy at the end here where you're like looking for the result of how it ended up. Like mm-hmm. you show your care by showing up, you know? And I, I stopped, you know, I would literally, they wouldn't know the difference between a championship game and a regular season game. I just like, I got a game. And I would just leave, you know, mm-hmm. cause I didn't care to tell like, like you guys don't care. So, and maybe cause you're just, you're dealing with other stuff, you know, you don't got time to care about me. Um, and yeah, man, it's, I think that all of that contributes to the hardening of an individual. appreciate you for sharing and get more more onto that too is i appreciate you being willing to go there um i i know that if i was here across the country uh literally uh hearing that story and feeling like the emotion that was being provoked out of you um than everyone listening did and what I, I know about this process and what we're not trying to do is say, you know, like you said, like, I'm not blaming them all them for all of it. Like this isn't a blame game. We're not trying to find the person who did the wrong and then that we're good. You know, like you, it was your fault. We're not looking for their fault. Um, what we're trying to navigate here is um, why am I the way I am right now? And if it's from that, that is okay but where is it coming from? Why is it this way? And with that understanding comes the grief of that part of our life, because then we begin to realize like, yes, okay, this is why I am by who I am. But you start to realize, wait a second, like all of those feelings that I had were never acknowledged. And that, that, that feeling that you just had that, that emotion that was invoked, that, that, that pain that was there. Um, 
is the pain of young Anwar. It's the pain that young Anwar didn't feel like he was allowed to have because he was in the process of hardening, not in the process of being in tune. He was in the process of hardening. So he didn't have to feel the pain. And I did the same thing. Saw the pain, said no. More men came into my life, said no. Hardened to that experience, said no. Never allowed myself to process. Always presumed I was the one who shunned my father. Um, turns out that was not accurate, but I lived with that narrative so I could, I could make it seem as if it wasn't my fault. But it wasn't my fault and it wasn't your fault and it wasn't our parents' fault. It, it's just the, about the process of how it happened. It's just how it unfolded. And I think one of the hardest narratives that I've ever had to get, wrap my head around um, is that the idea or the, 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 the subscription to the narrative that um, we chose our parents. And I don't know if I shared this before, it's, it's a bit of a spiritual journey, but uh, this idea that um, our soul said, yep, yeah, I want that one and that one. And I, I look at my narrative and I say to myself, that is a crock of absolute shit. <laughs> You're telling me my soul said those two, I love you, mom. And, and sure, I guess in this sense, like I love you too, father, but, but it's really those two that those are, there wasn't better options. Like you couldn't find the head of the pack. You couldn't find some more, like you, you couldn't find better fit. You chose to me to arrive at 15 with really. And I just, I laugh. And then I realize um, that once you see that, or once I was able to wrap my head around it a bit more and say, okay, what if I actually did choose that? Then I start to see, Oh, wait a second. And it kind of seems then that uh, my soul was like, I'm ready for it though. I can handle it. I got this. It's going to suck, but watch what I do with it. And that's kind of where I feel I am and where you may be too. And where the process of, of not even just that narrative, but just being willing to look backwards and say what happened um, allows you to start to see like, look what I made of it though. Like, yes, uh, in your case, you're a, a hardened concrete block right now, right? Yes, that is, that is the reality of where you are now, but look where, you, look where you're about to go with it. Look what you've already just done with it. Look how far you've come because of it, because of that hardening of that block. Sure, there's been challenges and things you feel like you may have been missing, as do I, but look how much we did with it. Mm -hmm. And that's the hardest thing to do is say, yes, it was hard. Yes, they didn't do the job I think now with my current awareness they should have done. And yes, I feel like maybe they could have done better. Beautiful. Yes. But if it didn't happen that way, would I be where I am right now? No. Would I be the strong, resilient person I am today? No. Would I be as capable as I am today? No. Would I even be willing to look backwards and see that for what it is based on the person I am today? No. Right. And I think that's uh, part of the journey of saying it all unfolded the way that it was supposed to even though it was hard, even though it caused me to be, or it feels like it caused me and created this person today. It's just like, yes, cool. Um, but the easiest tell to reflect on and look backwards and say, okay, you know, why did, what, how did my parents parent me? Look at how their parents are parenting them. 
look at your grandparents and say, how are my grandparents parenting my mother? How are my grandparents parenting my father? Because that is literally, generationally speaking, the easiest tell because of the way that we're, we're making this movement now. It's easiest tell. You look and say, okay, they parent this way, this way. That's exactly how I was parented. And then you start to see the pattern of, oh, okay, this all makes sense now. Like it clicks and you start to realize my parents were literally just copying and pasting because their parents copied and pasted. Mm-hmm. And we're here saying, I deleted that Excel sheet. I'm deleting it because I'm, it doesn't make sense to me anymore. But it doesn't mean that we're any better. It just means we're in a generation that has access to the idea that we can do so. Mm-hmm. But I appreciate you sharing because I was crying for sure. Um, and it was just a moment of, of pure honesty. So thank you. I, yeah, I appreciate you holding the space. And, you know, I think this podcast has served me in a lot of ways. Um, just being a place where I can feel, I feel comfortable. I can, I can unpackage some of the stuff that, you know, I'm holding and then, you know, shed light on things that I think I've overcome, you know, things that I've, I've, I feel like I've done my best to overcome and, you know, offer whatever those experiences, but we always talk about, you know, this platform, we do three things, you know, we, we discover things about ourselves. We, we share experiences and we try to educate, you know, as best as we can bring something to the table that maybe you've never heard of, you know, and sometimes it's like, all right, love languages and attachment styles. This is a cool topic. Let's go. And sometimes it's mm-hmm. like, fuck me, emotional availability from your parents. Like, you know, and it's a completely different level of strings that it pulls on and all that kind of stuff. And, um, one thing that I want to kind of go back to what you just said there is this deleting of Excel sheet. I think that one thing that I want to encourage, you know, men and anybody listening out there is um, it's hard to delete the Excel sheet. If you don't know what Excel sheet you're reading in the first place, or even how to read the Excel sheet or even how to read the Excel sheet. And you know what I'm, what I'm going here is that if you're not willing to, you know, fix the wounds that you have and face your trauma and actually like deal with it, then you might not understand how to play the game differently in the future, you know, how to change it. Um, Because I think first comes awareness, then comes, you know, working through it. And then through the working through it, you come up with a new strategy, you know, Otherwise, you're just going to continue to pay it forward the same way it was done to you because you haven't sat down with the work enough, you know, you know, so if you're my grandmother raised my mom one way and she never questioned that at all. She just carried it on to us, you know, even though she was intuitively feeling things that she was like, I hated this, I hated this, I hated this, but, you know, she didn't face the pain or face the trauma head on. It's hard to get a new outcome. It's hard to get a new strategy to move forward with. So you just therefore move the strategy forward, you know? So I think that there is a, a little bit of a pain before pleasure element to this, to this deleting of the Excel sheet. You have to kind of go through it um, mm. and then be able to actually serve in a way that is, is, is more aligned with what you want to be. That's not passing on pain, but passing on a lesson, you know? Mm. Um, and, and when you go through it too, not just... Uh, the man version of going through it, which is okay. Here's step A, step B, step C. Got it. Here's the journey. Let's go. Um, it's stopping at A and being like, what does A feel like? Mm-hmm. And then going to B and being like, what does B feel like? 
Cause that for me, I've recognized is the biggest part of the journey. And that's something that you embody just now is when you get into this space, it seems so simple to just be like, got it. Okay. Here's the answer. Got it. Okay. Here's the answer. Got it. They did this. That's why I'm this. Okay. Perfect. Check. Got it. Now I can do something different. Yes. That's beautiful. And that's what I did with my father's anger. I said, got it. Anger is a bad thing. I reflected on that. I saw that said, okay, cool. Got it. Check moved on. But I never went to that moment and said to myself, I wonder what six-year-old Kyle felt in that moment that moment that I can reflect on so easily and know that was a turning point and that I chose to do something different after that and never be that way. I see that now, but what the hell was I feeling? And that stop and that feel is for me, the going through it, going through it to feel it because acknowledging it is simple. Feeling it is complicated, but feeling it is where the, the healing comes. Feeling it is where you're like, oh, okay, cool. This makes way more sense now but the feeling hurts and that's okay. It's honoring something we, we, we try to embody as often as possible that Edison shared with us that we try to share with all of you listening uh, is honoring. Not, not always trying to fix, just honor, honor the pain, honor the, 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 the hurt that came with that, that it was okay. One thing I wanted to also add to this conversation is um, I think sometimes, you know, as men, we get to a place where even if I can get vulnerable and I can um, chip away at some of the hardening, the second something challenges me again, that hardening goes right back up fast, quicker than mm-hmm. it was even built the first time, you know, and I think mm-hmm. that, that is the, the bad cycle that we're in sometimes as men is that you know, you're chipping away. It's all good. It's all good. Let's say you're dating somebody and she's done a great job of chipping away so much, you know, like you've become really genuinely a good person. You're slowly starting to unpackage it. And then something happens in that relationship. It's like, and all that hard work is like, in one go, we're literally back to gated community. And I think that what I'm trying to, what this platform is forcing me to do is like, because I'm not just opening up to a, a small room, I'm opening up to everybody all at once here. It's, 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 it's being like, that's your truth, dude. It's all good. Like, let's just keep that wall down. Like, we don't got to put that back up anymore. It's better when it's just down, you know? I think that sometimes we're, we keep playing this game of like, chip away, harden it up, chip away, harden it up. And I think what the real truth is, is chipping it away, having someone stare at you and go, I heard what you said. And you go, yeah, that's the truth. That's what it is, you know, and I'm okay with that. You know, that, that accepting of your pain, I think is um, a, a step that's maybe beyond the original feeling. I, there's a lot of work to be done in like getting that hardening down, but I think not building it back up again when you, you feel attacked or you feel triggered or whatever the case may be. I think that's the real work, you know, being able to just be okay with, um, the scar itself and see it as beauty, you know, see it as, see it as, you know, something that is, is who you are and why who you are in a positive way. You know, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't want what I'm feeling inside and like all these things that make me up. And this is, I want to change that narrative. from like, this is, 
this is who I am to this is who I am. And in like the, the, the shadows, the darks, all of it, not, this is mm-hmm. who I am. I'm this way because I'm this way only for like the, the good sides of me, but I'm this way because of the bad sides of me too. You know, one of those things is just realizing like, I'm damn, I'm a pretty emotional and sensitive person. You know, I've tried to pretend like I'm not um, for a long time and I take things very personally. Um, and I, I try to pretend like I don't care. There's been times where people have said something to me that emotionally I've been like super rattled by, or I've been like very triggered by. And to them, right in that moment, I go, I don't really care, you know? And like, I'm, li- I'm literally lying in the moment. Like my body is, because I have to then admit that I'm sensitive, like that I'm emotional. Mm. Like the truth would be this be like, you know what? I am very triggered because I'm super emotional and sensitive. But what I'm teaching people that are around me is that this guy can handle it all, but I'm just burying it by myself. I'm dealing with it with myself where if they maybe understood that. Yeah. He's a bit more, he's, he's emotional. He's um, he's sensitive. They might approach me with a better language, better tone, better, like, you know, cause they'll, they'll empathize with how I am as a person, which would lead me to not be so hard. You know, mm-hmm. it would lead me to actually soften um, because they're embracing me in a way that's like reflective of what they think they know of me. Cause it's my truth but I have to be willing to wear that. I have to be willing to tell people, listen, I'm, yeah, I'm definitely going to, I'm more emotional. I overthink things. I'm sensitive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, cause I've heard, I've heard women say that to me. Like I've heard women tell me Anwar, like I'm sensitive. Don't talk to me like that. Like, you know, like, mm-hmm. and you, what I noticed in that process is them sharing their truth makes you approach them differently. Like mm-hmm. in a way that's more, that's more effective. Cause they're like, Hey, I'm sensitive. And the way you're talking to me, is is making is making me really guarded like i can't talk to you and really that's probably what i should be saying you know what i mean like mm-hmm. hey the way you're talking to me man like i'm pretty sensitive like i don't i don't appreciate how you're talking to me right now you know what i mean and i know if i could just fake it what i normally have done is just like i don't care you know i i would just be like and i shut down i'm like yeah you know, i don't on. care shut down, move on. But that is only contributing yep. to my hardening. It's not contributing to me owning my truth, you know, and owning who I am. So a lot of that is, you know, just reflection of, you know, what I think that all this kind of means for me and, you know, how I want to kind of move moving forward is just, you know, I, I want to dance beautifully in the box that, you know, God has created and given me and I can use my emotionality and my sensitivity for good, you know, and it, it starts with embracing it and understanding that that's who I am and figuring out how to, how to leverage that in a way that, you know, serves me and serves other, you know, like there, it's not a bad thing that you're emotional. It's just, Hey, it's, it's who you are. You know what I mean? Like you can mm-hmm. feel the emotions and everything, you know, you, you are more triggered sensitivity. So if you're very sensitive, you come around people who aren't sensitive, you might help them see sensitivity. Like, Hey, this, like you could be more sensitive in the way you approach this. You know what I mean? Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of a bit of the journey that I'm on, like, you know, coming off of the back of, you know, this conversation is I'm in that process of just, ah, I gotta, I gotta face some truths and I gotta tell some people some truths that maybe I haven't been comfortable sharing, but it might serve me better in general. Like, you know, Mm. um, and the narrative that I'm going to pull out of that story that, uh, we need to eradicate and not that you said it, it just came to me. Um, a narrative that we need to eradicate on all fronts. So not just my own personal space and sitting on the couch and being by myself, like not with a partner or like being alone or the same narrative that I play it when I'm with my partner or the same narrative that I play it when I'm at work, the narrative that if I feel it, I can't handle it. And for me, that narrative has haunted me. 
it has said that if I feel the feelings that come with this and I share that, then I'm going to be perceived like I cannot handle it, Mm. which is not the truth, but it blocks me from feeling. And it definitely blocks me from communicating because one thing that I recognized speaking literally with my partner last night about this is that when I speak on something, I don't, I, I, I feel like I struggle with expressing something just to express it, not to do anything about it. Mm-hmm. I, I, that's one of the hardest things that I navigate is if I say something out loud, then instantly my logical brain says, okay, cool, go do something about it. Make a different decision or go take action or start that pro- like do something. It's instantly into the doing. And the reason this conversation came up is because she expressed something to me just to express it. And she thought that I would also express it back and I wanted to, but I stopped myself. Cause I'm like, if I express that, I better go do something about it. Mm-hmm. The hilarity behind it all. So I block thoughts. I block feelings. I block a lot of things. Cause as soon as I feel like I give it the space, the air, I have to do something about it. And that's the narrative that I think needs to be eradicated is that you can just express it and it can just live as an expression, not a doing. Not a, not a problem fixed. Right, we do that with ourselves too. We want to fix our partner's problems. We also want to fix our own problems. But just expressing it can be just living in that space. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. But I speak on that. Let me, like I said, I just navigated that. I speak on that. Not from a, a, a wise expert by any means. And this is what we mentioned at the beginning. We're learning as we go with all of you. And as we go with each other, we're just learning. Shows up. And we're like, whoa, there's my mad box. Whoa, there's the patriarchy. Whoa, there's my, like all of these things. Um, and then we share, we express, and then we get to decide on what's next. But this space is beautiful because we do just share. We do just express. The topic makes us research, but we're just, we're here and you just expressed and that's how it lived. And that's it. That's where it ends. And <laughs> that's hard to say out loud. That's where it stops, but that's part of the, the I think, the emotional expression and the, the opening up to our truth is that our truth is just our truth. That's it. Done. Done. Is there any big takeaways that you have from this conversation? Do you have any, um, did anything really stand out to you in whether it was your research or our back and forth, um, anything about this kind of space that really resonated true or you felt really connected to? Mm. Well, I think uh, initially my, my first thought was a, just a, a pure acknowledgement of you. You know, you joked about it earlier in the sense of like, you know, you, you asked me about my childhood and, you know, I kind of get into it, but I don't really get into it and like all these things. And that's always been okay um, with me. And what I think, I see in the biggest takeaway from this conversation for me is that um, it happens on your own time. And the world is asking us to be vulnerable and to share and to open up and to be more in tune and to embody your truth. And, and, you know, I do that as a coach, but what I recognize is that you won't do it if you're not ready, you won't do it. And that's okay. It's your timeline, not mine. And for, uh, for me, the, the statement, leaves it all is allow people to do it on their own time. I'm never going to be in a position where I sit across this room with you and be like, like, why are you not going deeper? Why are you not sharing your truth? I know there's more. I won't ever do that because 
it's not fair to you. It's not, it's not my journey. It's yours. If I ask a question and you go one way with it, that's okay. If you go another way, that's okay. If I ask a second question and we, and it doesn't get there too, I don't even know where it could go. But I have, I think we have this expectation of people in this world that like, I just, just give me more. And I understand why, but it's, it's everyone's own journey. And for all the men listening for, for me too, this took me a long time to, to navigate and to learn. it's not like I came out the womb and said, all right, cool. I know my traumas. I know like I just, it didn't happen. It happened on my time. It's happening on your time. For some listening, you, you might be 50, 60, 70, and that's your time now too. And that's your journey. And it's, it's less about thinking, oh, what if I could have realized this at 30? It's like, yeah, but that's not the question we're supposed to be asking. Mm-hmm. It's, I'm, it, there's not even really a question. It's, oh, look, I'm learning it now. Look at that. Look how great that is. Because a lot of people don't. So that was my biggest takeaway. That's what, that's what landed for me the most. What about you? What was your biggest takeaway? I think my biggest takeaway um, is just, it's, it's just so interesting to me how when I started the research, you know, what I thought this was going to be and what it ended up being, you know, mm. I think that biggest of facts being so blindsided by our own pain, you know what I mean? I didn't even know I was, you know, so deeply ingrained in this. I didn't know something like this could provoke so much emotion out of me. And I didn't know that it was so prevalently, you know, one of my friends always talks about slaying dragons. She, she talks about, you know, dealing with her traumas and their insecurities. And she talks, she always talks about slaying dragons. And she says that, you know, sometimes we play this game in life where we slay all the easy dragons and we think we've actually done something, you know, we slay dragons. We know we're stronger than we, we, but we never, you know, in video games, there's always that, like, you know, that last dragon at the end, the hard one, the one that you, to actually beat the level, you got to beat that dragon. Like all these other ones are warmups, you know, mm-hmm. I think that I was, I was made aware of a massive dragon that I did not know I needed to slay. You know, I did not know I was being so deeply affected by, um, a concept like this. Um, and so I just, it's so easy to kind of go through life and just be so unaware, you know, um, of what's actually deeply mm-hmm. moving you, um, where your actual real insecurities and fears come from. It's very easy. And I think we do this all the time in life. Like I think the world, some of the reasons why I feel like I can't connect with the world sometimes is because we just live in a world of surface level conversation. I don't, I do not enjoy it. Like, and I think we do that with our problems. We deal with our surface level problems and we don't deal with the, the deeper level ones. I think that as a world, we have a, we're not, we're not so willing to go deep in anything, very, whether it's a conversation or our real emotions or, you know, our mm-hmm. real problems. Um, and so to, to add to what you said is, you know, to give you guys two takeaways here, it's, you know, understand that it's on your own time and, and, and go deep. You know, when you do find that time, go for the big dragon don't go for the little ones you know because they're the ones that they they're the ones that free up the most emotional space or the ones that lead to uh, that clean energy that we were talking about in our previous podcast it's it's the ones that you know really can unpackage and give you the breakthroughs to 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 step into your light you know to step into your light and be the person that you know you are um but 
the shadow of that dragon sometimes is overbearing and you don't really even know it's there. Um, so that's my biggest takeaway. And uh, it, something that you said that, you know, I think will always ring true to me is, and something I'm going to actually actively use as a way to benchmark where my relationship is with my, my parents or the ones that I love is, do I have a dap up relationship with these people or do I love them? You know, cause I think that that's very, it was very, very like that hit hard so deeply because I've been really good at dap up relationships. I got you, you got me, you know, I've, I've been very good at that with my friends, with my family. Sometimes I even seek that out. Like I've been seeking out a dap up relationship from my father. Like, I just want to keep you at bay. Like, can we just dap up? No, you know, I know. Mm -hmm. I don't even want love from you. I just want you to know that like, I still see you as my dad. You still see me as, and I think the challenge there is like, how can I approach that conversation and just be a bit more open and be like, I want more than a dap up relationship with you. Like, can we figure this out? Mm -hmm. What is it going to take to evolve from, because I need people in my corner that love me and don't just see me as a dap up, you know? And if my mom is dapping me up a little bit too much, maybe opening up to her and being like, Hey, uh, I'm a son. I, I just need a little love. Like, can you just stop dapping me up for a second here? And just like, get into your mother bag, be a mom to me. You know what I mean? And I think that that conversation is difficult because as a man, you're carrying the torch of being a man. So you don't want to like, be like, Hey mom, love me. Stop dapping me up. Amen. But sometimes it's, it's needed, you know? And I think that being able to see it that way is a little bit more, even with my friendships, maybe I could go back and be like, I think I have a, like, I think I love this guy, but like, do I love him in a dap up way? Like, do we divide and conquer or do I actually love this person? You know? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So that, that will stick with me um, because I think it's a very telling way of seeing the love for what it really is, you know? Cause I think that, that that's like the disguise is that dap up love, it feels real, but it's not actually real love. You know, it's not the affectionate one that we crave. Um, mm -hmm. It's just one that makes us feel secure. Like I got you, you got me, but it doesn't, is it secure when like everything is crumbling, you know? Um, mm. those, are my, those are my takeaways. Powerful. Powerful. And I'll, I'll end this conversation um, by inform, informing you that, brother, I'm going to fucking love you. And I hope, I hope that you hear that. Because I know that um, it might be difficult to take in and in, in, in the space where, uh, you know, we as men, we often just reject the idea of it actually being truthful and not just dap up. But I love you, brother. Man, I love you too, man. I appreciate everything that you've done for me. Uh, you've made me a better man uh, in a lot of ways. And you've, you've made me slay some of those dragons for real and not be so surface level with my pain and my problems. And I don't know if there's really words I can say to, you know, thank you for, you know, being that, that person for me. So I appreciate it. And I love you too. Mm. What's up, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Modern Masculinity Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and we invite you to join us next week as we put out content every single Wednesday. Our goal with this platform is to create a community 
to support men on their journey of becoming conscious kings. And in saying so, if you took any value out of this episode or previous episodes, please share, download, subscribe. And if you're feeling really up to it, go ahead and leave a review. You can follow us at Modern Masculinity. Remember, the K, it's with a K, not a C, to represent the mask that we wear. And like always, thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.